Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know, I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Listen, it's always a good time to buy real estate. It's never been a bad time to buy. It's just a bad time to sell. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Hey, just a quick reminder before we jump into the episode, head to Apple Podcasts or the link in the show notes to leave us a rating and review for the show. We're getting closer to our goal of a thousand reviews, so every review helps. All right, I was walking around my neighborhood this morning. I was blown away by the number of people selling, buying, and remodeling houses. 
I was thinking there's so much talk right now about high interest rates and how expensive housing prices have gotten, but it really doesn't seem to be deterring anyone from going about their normal buying, selling, remodeling business. So then I thought, okay, if you're looking to buy your first home, is there ever a right time to buy? Well, lucky for you, Bianca Delicio, who is ranked number one real estate broker in New York and New York State, and number 14 in the nation for 2022. She also manages a $10 billion real estate portfolio for Nest Seekers International and happens to be the star of Selling the Hamptons on Max, formerly known as HBO. She is here to share her thoughts on paving the way to first-time home buying in this crazy market, or really any market. You'll learn how to be competitive when buying, why lenders are concerned more about your credit card debt than your student loan debt, if Airbnb market is really a bust, and why staying in your home for 10 plus years is probably the best investment you're ever going to make. Oh yeah, of course, we're going to talk a little selling the Hamptons dirt too. All right, let's start talking. You have quite the resume. We are going to talk about it all. I want to just read off a few (laughs) stats. You were ranked the number one real estate broker in New York in New York State, And number 14 in the nation for 2022, which just is absolutely mind-blowing. I'm like cheering you on. You You manage, (laughs) I think, a $10 billion real estate portfolio somewhere in that neck of the woods. Yes. You were Mm -hmm. also star of Selling the Hamptons on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're going to talk all about real estate and what's going on. So to start us off, what would you say, what do you think is the biggest lesson for first-time homebuyers in this kind of like crazy market that we're in right now? Oh, it is a crazy market. I would say the best pieces of advice I could give to anyone is to make sure you surround yourself with the right team. That's not just your real estate broker, although we are very important, but it's the right attorney and the right lender, especially in the interest rate environment we're in. Having those three components is crucial to setting yourself up for success uh, during the transaction process. And then also to be patient with yourself and be willing to get educated on the market. I find people get the most frustrated when they're in when they're rushing things or when they don't really understand. So realize, like anything, this is not your job or your profession. It's a, a part of life. So becoming educated is super, super important. Tell me a little bit about this team that you talk about, because I know so many of my friends who are, are first-time homebuyers, no matter what age there are, you know, there's this kind of like cloud of confusion around buying a place, you know, and obviously a lot of nerves, a lot of anxiety we're dealing with, potentially a lot of money that people are talking about. And so I always get asked the question, how do you find the right real estate broker, the right real estate person, the right mortgage broker, whatever it might be? Do you have any tips for like, how do we search and find that person? Absolutely. So I always recommend the first place you should start is with referrals from friends and family. That does not mean use friends and family. (laughs) It means (laughs) talk to your friends and family and see who they have had great experiences with uh, using your referral network, but also research best real estate brokers in my neighborhood, read testimonials, see how many transactions agents have done, and then interview them. You are hiring someone for a job. Your broker, your mortgage broker, and your attorney work for you. So the same way 
you would hire anyone else who works for you, you need to interview them. You have to ask them the difficult questions and you should be meeting with more than one person. You know, I find it strange when I go to meet with a client and they haven't met other brokers because I want them to know that they chose the right one before we start working together. Um, and so it's, that's part of the process and you should definitely be interviewing your team. I feel like there might be quite a few stories there when you when you talk about don't hire your family members. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that might be a very slippery slope, right? It it is. It is because um you need to be you need to work with someone who does this full time and is entrenched in this and also takes out the emotional component of buying a home. I mean, this is single-handedly the most expensive purchase most people will ever make in their lifetime. You know, whether they're serial home buyers or seasoned investors, it's still a very, very big portion of your money, of your savings. Uh, and you have to make the right decision. And removing the emotional component out of it is important to make sure that you're you're making a very educated decision uh, and not a rash one. It's hard to do though, right? I remember when I bought my first place, and I tried to think very logically when I walked mm -hmm. in and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so in love with this. But I find that the, the emotions around it, like they're so close to the surface and it's really hard sometimes to even like look at a house with like some degree of, um, I, I don't know what the right word is, but, um, you know, to, to take that emotional component out of it and like to look at a house and go, okay, mm -hmm. does this suit my needs? Like, is this realistic for me? Will I actually enjoy living here? So I think the, mo the, the most important question I ask when I work with a client is, first of all, what's going on in your life and what is your goal? Because we could develop the strategy for the goal once we know what the goal is. If someone tells me I want to find my forever home to raise my family, that's a much different emotional conversation than I want to make sure I have the best return on investment three years from now and my resale value is protected. Two totally different purchasing strategies and the way that we're going to approach the market and make decisions. So of course, there's emotion throughout the process, but when you're negotiating and when it comes down to the difficult conversations, you need to remove the remote emotion from it in order to be looking at the bottom line and make sure your best interest is is at heart. And I would imagine with just running through a few of your resume stats that you're pretty fierce when it comes to negotiation. <laughs> I, I like to think that I am, yes. <laughs> it's a very big part of the job. <laughs> I mean, it is, right? We're dealing with no matter what price of house that we're purchasing, I mean, everyone always wants to get the best deal, right? The buyer mm -hmm. wants to get the lowest price possible and mm -hmm. the seller wants to get the highest price possible. And there's always mm -hmm. that, that middle ground and, you know, shows like, like yours, like selling the Hamptons and any of the, the popular real estate shows they're on. I think the moment that is, um, I, I guess like exciting for people is that moment when people, you know, each agent is trying to negotiate for the client and they're trying to figure out like that, that sweet spot. And there's, mm -hmm. there's like anxiety that exists in that sweet spot. Like how do you manage your own, uh, nerves and, and anxiety and, and just, I don't know, like preconceived <laughs> notions when you're in those moments. Totally. I think the biggest misconception about negotiating is that most people think you need to be a pit bull in order to be really good at it. What I have found is the most important ingredient, ingredient is being creative. 
So listening to both sides and getting as creative as you can to structure the deal that makes sense for all parties. You know, a lot of times I find agents get so hell bent on getting the best deal for their client that they actually kill the deal when the, the most important thing that the client wanted was the home. They want their family to be in that home. And for five or 10 or 15 or $50,000, they will kill the deal because they were trying to be a hero in the transaction. You have to recognize you're fighting to make the deal happen and to get your client's needs (laughs) and not always for that final dollar. But how do you look at the big picture holistically to structure something that everyone feels comfortable with? And also bringing it back to to your client on the other side of educating them on, listen, I know you wanted a little bit less off the price, but this really is fair in this market. And let's look at the big picture of what we've seen throughout the entire transaction process. We should feel good about where we're landing and and giving, giving the client at the end of the day, we should feel good about where we are because you're getting the home. I like that advice a lot because I think that that again it brings the human element back into this process that is you know difficult and tricky and expensive and just from a from a female perspective I'd love to ask you personally do you get um you know real estate is is a very male still male driven field right do you get a lot of pushback when you're in those negotiating moments or, you know, are you able to kind of get in there and just like really hold your own? Uh, I don't now, fortunately, um, but it was very hard in the beginning of my career to really find my voice and my confidence with a, uh, a male counterpart or even someone who is more seasoned in the industry of like, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? But it just came down to practice and it came down to owning it and truthfully doing the homework and doing the research. Um, you could always become a better negotiator and it takes a lot, a lot of practice and evaluation of what am I doing right? What did I do wrong there? What could I learn from and how do I become better? It's such great advice. I love that. And I think we could use those those tips no matter we're negotiating our salary or negotiating a house or whatever we're negotiating, right? Everything. It's it's like, what can I live with? You know, what do I want? But also what can I live with? And what am I shooting for that I know is maybe unrealistic and the things that are completely unrealistic when you take them off the table because they just become such far-fetched asks. Um, so it's important to know all of the, the components of your ask in a negotiation and where you want to settle. All right, getting a little bit back to kind of the market conditions we're in now, you know, there's been so much talk over the last few years about inflation. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm, I'm certainly sure where you live in New York, where I live here in Asheville, I go to the grocery store and, you know, I check out and I'm just like, wait a minute, I have like four or five items. How is it like possibly that expensive? Crazy. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like it's it's getting worse, you know, everywhere our, our wallets are kind of getting pinched. And The crazy thing is that inflation is still half of what it was this time last year. And yet, you know, we're still really feeling it. I'm wondering if if a lower, you know, inflation rate, has this changed anything in the home buying market or or is it just pretty much still operating the same? People are out there buying and selling. And people are really out there buying and selling. And, you know, what's distorting the entire market so substantially is inventory levels. And this is something we're seeing across the entire United States right now, most specifically in suburban markets, uh, is that there's just not enough inventory for the amount of demand 
And so with supply levels so low and demand so high, it does not matter what happens with inflation. It does not matter what happens with interest rates. It doesn't matter what's happening in the financial industries or in global politics right now. People need homes to buy and there's a lot of people and not a lot of inventory. So it's keeping prices pretty high. Why is that happening? With everything that we saw post-COVID, I think it was the insurgence of buyers. It was people moving out of cities um, and into suburban markets. It was the distortion of wealth coming from the New Yorks, the LAs, the Miamis, and moving to home markets where you priced people out of their local market. That, in conjunction with how expensive it got to start building uh, and labor costs. Right. Lumber um, and everything, right? Yeah. Everything along the entire supply chain. Um, so we had the influx of buyers moving into those markets and the cost of labor going up, the timeline to complete projects going up. And then because inventory was still so low, people buying homes pre-development before they're even finished or before they're even built. So you can't even catch up to match the uh, the demand in the market. Uh, it's created this trickle down, a trickle effect that we just haven't seen let up yet since March 2020. Do you, I mean, do you see this changing or how, like, how does this change? You know, I don't see it changing for a few years, truthfully. Um, I think that we're going to continue to be in this very, very strong market that we're seeing for the next two to three years. And we've been expecting, the financial world have been expecting some sort of a correction. Uh, a lot of people said a collapse. I never thought a collapse would, would happen, just what I'm feeling boots on the ground. I did anticipate to see a little bit of a correction, which we have not yet seen. Uh, and I just think that can these, this trend is going to continue staying on until we start to see a shift in the labor markets and the uh, pricing of supply. So how concerned do you think we should be about interest rates if we're particularly if we're looking to buy our first home? Is mm -hmm. it is it something where we should be waiting and saying like, OK, let's just see if maybe interest rates come down and then maybe I could buy a little bit more house or is it almost I mean, does it almost not really matter in the grand scheme of things? I hate to say it doesn't really matter because I know how much it impacts people's affordability. But the reality is, is we, our minds got so warped with two and 3%. And a lot of the times we forget that's free money. Like two and 3% <laughs> interest rates is not close real. to it's, zero. <laughs> it's, it's not sustainable. And we got used to it for a very long time. If we tilt back uh, and look at historical numbers, you know, 20 years ago, when we were seeing 21%, 19%, 18% for a very, very long time, that's where interest rates used to be. This is just our new normal. So whether they come from 7% and they drop back down to 5% or they're at 6%, that's a very, very healthy range for where the market should be transacting and where I think rates will stabilize for a very long time. So even if you're locking in now at 7 or a little bit over 7%, and you always have the opportunity to refinance in a year or two or three down the road, but the moment interest rates start to drop down, even a little bit more, we just start to feel home prices sky skyrocket back up. So you, net net, you're the same on your monthly payment when you factor in a higher purchase price and a slightly lower rate. It's interesting. My parents tell me this story. We moved from uh, Texas to California in mm -hmm. um, the very late 80s, very 
and they told me, you know, we had to, we had to buy a house. Like we obviously had to have some place to live. And I think interest rates were just ridiculous. I think it was like 12 or 13% yeah. interest rates they had to get for a home loan. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just the horror of, I mean, you have to have a house, like you have to find some place to live Absolutely. and, mm-hmm. and just like what you're saying is, well, okay, if interest rates come down, then home prices go even higher. So it's almost like there, there is not a perfect scenario, right? Like it just doesn't There's really nothing. exist. No, it doesn't exist. And then when you look at what we've seen in the rental markets, like renting isn't even a better solution because rental numbers are higher than they've ever been too. So it's it's paying a little bit more money to own, a little bit more money to finance or way more money to rent. Either way, it's just the cost of living is just, it's increased for everyone everywhere. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because I I feel like we've been fed this idea of this quote unquote American dream, whatever that is anymore, right? And mm-hmm. the, you know, owning a home since the '40s and '50s, it's kind of been passed down generation to generation. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, we we've talked about housing prices; they're still ridiculous in most cities. Rent rental prices we just talked about are ridiculously expensive. So you know, I have a lot of people asking me, okay, how do I know the tipping point? Like, how do I ultimately decide, like, should I stay in this, in this rental, even though it's expensive, or Mm -hmm. should I go buy a house, even though that is expensive? Do you have any advice for how do you figure out whether you stay or, or, or move? So I think a lot of it, and listen, it's always a good time to buy real estate. It's Why never is that? been a Tell, bad time to give buy. Me the, give me the argument for that. Tell <laughs> yeah. me. It's never been a bad time to buy. It's just a bad time to sell. So if you can always time the sales market, you can make sure that you're not selling at a low. But that comes into, it's like anything, it's looking at your entire portfolio and what are your money goals? You know, <laughs> Where is your money working for you best? Uh, and what is your family planning and what is your career planning and what's your flexibility and what's your freedom? Um, if you don't need liquid money right now and you want to tie it up in real estate, I do still feel it's a very good time to buy because I think the market's just going to continue to go like this. Do I feel sure? Probably we're going to eventually have to correct some amount, but we'll correct for a little bit of time. And then the market always comes back up. So I always say like, are you buying on a two to five year horizon or are you buying on a 15 to 20 year horizon? If you're buying for the, the 10 or plus horizon, you buy now. You undoubtedly buy now because you, if you decide to sell in year nine or 11 or 13, you just time the sales market for when it is the best time to sell. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. 
Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. And now in this segment of Your Relationship with Money Is, we ask our guests to answer four questions with the first thing that pops in their mind to show, well, we've all got a bit of a messy and tangled up relationship with money. So question number one, if you had to describe your relationship with money as a cartoon character, what would it be? Uh, (laughs) Oh, a cartoon character. (sighs) 
choose. I don't know if this is a good one, uh, but I guess I would say like Bugs Bunny. I feel like I'm constantly running and chasing and figuring out. And I'm like, I don't know if I ever have a making or doing the right things or having enough, but it's constantly like keeping every ball up in the air all at the same time and running around in circles to make sure that nothing drops. All right. Number two, how many times a day would you say you think about money? Oh, all day, every day <laughs> in some capacity. I wouldn't say I'm looking at the bottom line all the time, but almost every conversation I have all day is about money. All right. Number three, how would your life change if you had a billion dollars right now in your bank account? Uh, truthfully, I don't think it would change all that much because I love what I do so much. I'm not doing it. I mean, the money is a great perk on top of it, but I would be doing exactly what I'm doing right now, even if I had a billion dollars in cash in the bank right now. All right. And number four, if you were granted a money do-over, what would it be? Uh, to buy real estate earlier, 100%. <laughs> I, I wish uh, I started working when I was very young and saving to go travel the world. I don't regret a dollar of it, but I do wish that I bought a home much, much earlier than I did. <laughs> what if you're in that smaller bracket where you're thinking like two to five years? I think it, you have to look at what are the other things? Are you planning your family right now? Or do you need money to stay liquid to invest in your business because you're trying to grow your business? Uh, are you buying for yourself as a primary owner? Or are you just looking to invest money in the real estate industry? I think the way that technology and the visibility of online listing syndications and this access to data that you can own property anywhere. You could operate it through Airbnb or a lot of these new technology platforms and management companies, and you don't need to just invest in your local market. You don't even have to just invest in the United States of America. You could buy internationally now, and there's so many resources and the way that travel has changed to make money overseas. So it's really looking at what is your goal of, of buying and owning in real estate and how do you put together the best plan that makes sense for you at that given point in time? So I wish I had a one size fits all answer. I know. It, I would really be, don't. it would be so much easier, right? But this is this is money in life and there isn't, like, that's always an asterisk mark. There is not one size fits all, right? Exactly. So if I'm listening, I'm a first time home buyer. You know, mm -hmm. what steps, Bianca, should I take to start paving the way to home ownership? Are there, are there a few things I can do to really set myself up for success? Absolutely. So really looking at your savings plan looking at your credit card bills and statements, because now more than ever with interest rates being so high, your debt to income ratio is very, very important for where you get that interest rate. So if you have a lot more debt on your plate, figuring out way, ways to pay off that debt before you start to go through the home buying process. So looking at your debt to income, looking at your debt, looking at your credit score, those two things are going to have a very big impact on where you're able to ink and finalize that rate when you lock in. Tell me a little bit about like the sweet spots for those, like for debt to income and, and a credit score. Like what sort of range should we be looking at? <laughs> oh, gosh, that's so hard. Obviously, the higher, the better. Um, but, you know, where you... you being, I mean, if you could be in the above 800 range for that credit score, uh, it just opens you up to a whole other uh, arena of, of rates. Um, 
And then the debt to income is, is really difficult, truthfully, because it depends what kind of debt you have, whether it be forgivable loans or student debt. Um, but the biggest red flag is, you know, worrying less about um, your student loans and more so on credit card debt. That's where you really want to focus on okay. buying, on, on paying off that debt before you start your, your home buying process. That's great advice. And why is that? Is it just lenders aren't as concerned about student loan debt as they are about like credit card debt? And Yeah, I think because of spending habits now, <laughs> uh, it's so easy just to be swiping and swiping uh, and people just defer payment and they push it off and you're, you're, that person's okay with racking up that really high interest. Whereas I think for a longer term commitment, like a student loan, especially when you're looking at different loan forgiveness programs or medical loans, there's, it's just so much more complicated and cumbersome than just uh, here's it's, it's an educational component versus just a spending habit. Um, and so that's, there is a, definitely a difference in the way that they're favored and looked at by a lender. I want to go back to a little bit about uh, the negotiation and getting creative, but what you talked about, you know, I've had a lot of friends over the last couple of years, just tell me kind of horror stories when they're trying to buy a house and they mm -hmm. get outbid by somebody who has all cash and they can't mm -hmm. possibly compete with that. And they end up losing the house. And a lot of times they just don't end up buying anything because they just mm -hmm. can't, can't be competitive. So how do we, how do we be creative and get competitive or like tell a yes. compelling story in, in a market yep. like we're in now. Absolutely. So there's different ways that we could be creative. What I want to say first is we could get very, very creative with different lending options. Um, and so that's why having your, uh, having the conversation with a mortgage broker before you start the process to understand, okay, can I take out a bridge loan? Um, so I could buy before I sell and I don't have to include a sales contingency because I know that I have loan terms. That's very, very important um, because the, 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 the biggest red flag or the thing that sellers want least of is different varying contingencies. I think a little less money uh, for better terms is more favorable than having something that's contingent on another sale or a mortgage or an appraisal or an inspection. You know, what I'm saying to my clients is we can do an inspection before we sign a contract. We don't have to make the deal contingent on it, <laughs> but let's ah. move the deal along. So we don't have, we ease up some of that concern that, you know, everyone's making the strides that they need to progress the conversation, but you're not locking yourself in. Of course you want to be protected. So we do that beforehand to show every best effort that we're they're moving forward with the transaction. So I think on the financing side, that's very important. What I've negotiated on um, a offer structure side is looking at, okay, furniture. Uh, how can you maybe talk about furniture in the home buying process? You know, what pieces you want, what pieces you don't want, what pieces a seller is willing to leave behind or really, really wants to get rid of. Um, so that becomes ties into the full picture. Uh, I'm a very big fan of escalation clauses. So if you have the opportunity and you're uh, negotiating a best and final, how do you get creative to say, uh, this is my number, but I'm willing to increase my offer X amount of dollars or percentage wise over your other highest and best offer? 
Ooh. So yes, you are paying more than the other highest offer. But to me, I like that better than a best and final because it shows that I'm that serious about the home, that if you show me proof of where this other offer came in it, I'm willing to increase it by this amount up to this dollar amount. And so I negotiate that a lot of times for my clients. How do you communicate to you know your client or the first time home buyer? What sort of range they should be willing to go up for for a certain mm-hmm. house? So if you know, I find yeah. a house and let's say I'm just making up numbers. Let's say it's a half mm-hmm. a million dollars. Yeah. But you know, you tell me, well, I think it's probably going to go over asking. How, like, how do I? I guess if it's the buyer, know how much mm-hmm. I should actually be willing to go up in the price. So it's hard to answer that as well because it becomes relative on purchase price and like percentage of the sales number. Um, but you know, when you're looking in the 500 to 700, $800,000 range going up 25 or 35 or $40,000, even while it feels like a big number on your monthly payment really isn't that much when you break it out over the lifetime of the loan. And it makes the difference between you getting the home or not. And then again, it's, well, I, I get the, the, the I'm talk, I talk about a lot with about objections with my team. How do you overcome objections and getting the feedback? Well, it won't appraise or I'm paying more than the comps. Well, yes, you may be paying more than the comps now, but this is the home that you have loved more than any other home. And if you're telling me this is going to make your family so happy because you're going to wake up every single holiday and this is going to be the tree you're looking at the front lawn, you know, what's a little bit more money now? Because right now we just keep getting outbid on everything else. So clearly the market is speaking and we're going to have to put our best foot forward. I think that's very important. And then the conversation about appraisals, uh, you know, I, I hate to I hate to get so bogged down in appraisal numbers because the market's just moving so fast. And comps that we saw three months ago just are not relevant anymore. So I always like to tackle things as they come. When it comes time to handling an appraisal, we make the argument about the comps and why we priced and why we came in at this level uh, and at this point in time based on the inventory that existed because historical data just isn't relevant to today's specific market. That's a really interesting point. I would imagine that even like day by day, things are changing so rapidly. <laughs> it's hard to like Absolutely. compare anything. <laughs> that yeah, probably makes totally. your job a lot more difficult too. Yep. Absolutely. You know, I have conversations with appraisers all the time. They're like, how did you get this number? I'm like, well, I got this number. You're looking at, at, transaction volume from 30 and 60 days ago. But the inventory on the market that we were competing with 30 and 60 days ago was different than now. So I look at what is a buyer buying at this gross price point in today's market. My client who's going out on a Sunday at an open house, what are their options? When you're looking at it that way, this is the price of the home stacked up against the inventory that's online. You know, on a price per square foot basis, is it important somewhat I guess, but there's so many other factors at stake because people, the buyers don't care about price per square foot. You know, when I get that argument from agents, I'm like, that doesn't matter. (laughs) Like look holistically at the home and what are you actually competing with at this given point in time? That's where the market stands right now.
I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Talking about money is hard. You know this already. All over the world, people are taught to never talk about money, politics, sex, or religion in polite company. On 50 Fires, a podcast about money and meeting from executive producers Chip and Joanna Gaines, host and financial conversationalist Carl Richards will remove money from that list by having frank, funny, and often difficult conversations about money, the kind we're all told not to have with guests from all walks of life. In each episode, Carl will invite a new guest to answer the question, what does money mean to you? Their answers will reveal much more than their attitudes about money, spanning revelations about identity, community, faith, family, and the true meaning of wealth. Tune in to hear deep conversations about money and the meaning it holds in our lives. You can find 50 Fires on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. 
Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. What about our our side hustlers or entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. that are listening and you know maybe they left the corporate world like during the pandemic, kind of started their own thing? Is there hope for them to be able to buy a house or what steps do they need to take to to get themselves in a place where, you know, they yeah. they can be competitive? Yeah, absolutely. Um so learning the difference between being a uh, getting a mortgage when you're 1099 and a W2 are two very different processes. So, um if you did leave that corporate job with that guaranteed salary that you had year over year, a bank a bank's going to want to see two years of uh, employment uh, salary data uh, for where they lend to you. So, you know, when you make that big career adjustment, it's very, very important to make sure that you're giving yourself the historical time that you need Um to prove to a bank why you qualify for a loan at that point in time. Um, but also, you know, for, um, for, you know, entrepreneurs, you have to be a lot more creative. You're not going to the big banks. You have to work with a mortgage broker who can shop multiple different, uh, investment pa- financial packages. So you can get not just the best rate, but the best terms, uh, and, and be competitive when you are getting your financing. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned Airbnb, and I have been reading so many articles about like the decline of, of the Airbnb market and how everybody mm-hmm. went out and bought up all these properties during the pandemic. And yes. now they're not they're not getting rental in- income from them. And you know, what's gonna happen? What do you think? What do you think is gonna happen with with Airbnb? Uh, I think Airbnb will eventually stabilize and will eventually be fine. Um, but I do think that people got a little, I hate to use the word, but it's true, piggish with the numbers that they were asking, uh, especially when you factor, you know, travel has changed a lot. And I mean, that's the only reason I'm feeling a slowdown in the market right now is because everyone is in Europe. Like, Everyone flocked to Europe this summer. So they're not going to their cabin houses in the suburbs or they're not doing that longer term rental. Or we're seeing the Hamptons market has changed a lot for your summer rental. And we're feeling that in a lot of summer rental market seasons and these weekend getaway spots. Do I think that um, the best properties out there, you, you know, you have to look at it like this is this is a business. You didn't just throw money into a property. And I mean, or hopefully not right. <laughs> throw money into a property and think you were just going to make it back like that. The the owners and the landlords who are willing to reinvest in their property and to differentiate themselves and their product on the market, they're going to be fine. But you have to be willing to put some capital into into the home. You have to be willing to market it properly and try to stand out because there is a lot more of that inventory out there Um, and a lot of new destinations that have now become destinations because people aren't just looking in. uh, I want to go to this ski resort or this place. It's where can I travel in a one to two to three hour radius of where I live or where my vacationing to. Yeah, I like it's it's interesting how how in the last 3 years vacationing has changed like you know yeah. year over year over year and it's 
it's like a head scratcher for me to see like, where is it going to go from here? Are we all just going to go kind of back to how we used to travel or, yeah. you know, are we going to see these different like trends emerge? I don't know. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And you're right. Everyone I know has, has either been in Europe or is going to Europe or, yes. or something. And so I think people are just still in that phase of wanting to get out there and kind of experience yeah. life. Definitely. I, I'm feeling it across the board from at every age group and demographic and from all over the place. Uh, people are, are, are hungry and are excited and are eager for those world experiences again and want to be out there and to feel and breathe culture. And I think that's what we're seeing. That's the trend that we're seeing in the market right now. So, all right, Bianca, selfishly as a reality TV junkie, I just have to ask you about <laughs> selling the Hamptons. Uh, yes. you know, tell me, I, I'm so curious, like how much is staged? How much is real? Like what, what is that whole situation like? So um, I'm actually was surprised by how much of my reality TV show was real. <laughs> I remember showing up the first day for filming and I was like, okay, where's my script? And they're like, what are you talking about? go. I'm like, wait, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not an actor. Go. <laughs> they're like, just talk about real estate. And I'm like, like I would in the office. And they're like, exactly. I'm like, oh, this is so weird. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's actually, uh, very real. Uh, what makes it so real is, uh, a lot of the personalities and characters is what creates the drama. Uh, of course, the way that we talk and, and storyline the transaction process, all of that has happened, but a lot of things kind of sometimes need to be back channeled or played or, or, or redone a little bit to properly tell the story because, uh, I mean, I guess very fortunately, I do not have a camera crew on me all of the time. Um, <laughs> um, That's going to yeah, be just a, a really of, interesting yeah. experience to be like doing yes. what you do. And mm -hmm. yeah, have, have cameras there, have the personalities. I mean, you're, you're actually really buying and selling houses for people, right? I mean, that yeah, the process yeah. is actually happening. So, Oh yeah. And you're, you're getting, you're dealing with, you're getting the client call like on camera for the first time you're presenting an offer and you're like, okay, creativity hat on, like, well, let's go <laughs> handle, ready to handle any objection or any personality. Or, I mean, gosh, there's so many personalities. I feel like I'm, uh, just as much of a therapist as I am real estate broker. <laughs> so being prepared to always handle all of those dynamics, you never really know what you're getting into. But uh, it's definitely taught me to think more so on my feet and be much quicker with my words. I will say that. I like that. Well, I'm, I'm definitely money, half money expert, half therapist too. So yes, we, yeah, yeah. And, and we <laughs> yes. all, we share the, uh, the therapy thing as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so are you like, is this something you're going to continue doing or was this kind of a one, one and done? No. Thing? So season one is out. It's on max. Season two is filmed, is ready to go and will be airing hopefully very, very soon. And then only time will tell for season three. So, um, it's been, um, I never had like, uh, it was never on my vision board to be a reality TV star, <laughs> well, come on. Uh, I'm just kidding. but, but, but I am, and I was truth, truthfully terrified when I was approached for the show, uh, because I, I, prior to this life, I used to think I liked being very quiet and behind the scenes and, uh, private, none of that gets to exist anymore. And I've learned to embrace it all. Um, but um, 
it's opened so many doors for me and it's taught me truthfully just so much about myself and it's uh, put an accelerator under my business. So for that, I'm very, very fortunate and grateful. Well, we will definitely be be tuning in. You know, we've talked about so much and it's obviously no doubt that real estate, the world is just wild no matter what year we're having this conversation. And yet, you know, real estate is still one of the ways that so many people build wealth, build generational Absolutely. wealth. So, you know, just as we kind of wrap up here, can you give mm-hmm. us maybe like a, I don't know, like a pep talk of how to keep mm-hmm. a good good mindset about about buying a house in this market or, or any market yeah. that we're buying in? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I always like to go back. I, I said it before, but mindset is everything to me. And I continually say over and over again, it's never been a bad time to buy. And I promise I will always help you time the sales market. It's only ever been a bad time to sell. So um, I think the most important thing is take it one day at a time, uh, one house at a time, <laughs> and and really be very clear on what your goals are for you and for your family. And you know, like everything in life, like everything happens for the right time and at the right place in the right situation. And so much of real estate and developing that generational wealth, uh, a lot of it hinges on luck and timing. Um, and so just being willing to trust the process. If you're around the right team, you should have trust in the process. And if you do not feel that trust, you do not have the right team around you guiding you through it. So uh, really focus on doing what's best for you and for your family. Interview, spend time making sure that you have the right trusted advisors uh, and one step at a time. Just a little friendly, mindful money reminder as we end here. You know, buying and owning a home, it's great. I've done it. I have enjoyed it. I've also rented and currently am renting a house because I want flexibility. So when it comes to real estate, I want you to do what works for you and your money. You haven't made a big money mistake if you don't own a home. Let's be real. It's expensive and it's a huge life commitment. However, if you want to buy a home now or in the future, take Bianca's advice. Just figure out what type of house you want to buy, how long you want to live in it, and find a house that fits you best. Don't get hung up on all the finding the best price or waiting for the interest rates to drop a bit. I mean, who knows when that will actually happen. If you want to connect with Bianca, you can check out Selling the Hamptons on Max. You can also find her on our website, nestseekers.com. And you can find her on Instagram. I'll link her handle right in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, head on over, give us a review, give us five stars for this episode and share it with a friend, someone who you know might be in the market to buy a home or maybe somebody who's a fan of Selling the Hamptons and just wants to hear from Bianca. You can have the show notes for all the links to our episode guests, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. (music) 